All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, this morning we are continuing in our series, uh, View of the Bible from 30,000 Feet. And, and today we're looking at uh, the fifth sermon in this six-part series, Redemption Lived Out. Redemption Lived Out. Um, and so what we're really talking about today is how do we live as the New Covenant community? How do we live as the church? Last week we learned that Jesus redeemed us, right? He is the one who provides us with, with redemption. He's the one who provides us with salvation. And so this week we're going to look at, well, well, now that we've been redeemed, now, now that we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, how are we supposed to live? And so hence the title, Redemption Lived Out. Now this morning we're going to be in several different texts, but, but they're real close to one another, so you don't have to turn a whole lot in your Bible. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and Matthew 28. Um, so Acts chapter 2 will be first, so you can go ahead and turn there, and we're, we'll begin in verse 42. Then we're going to turn over to Matthew 28, we're going to look at the Great Commission. And then we're going to turn back to Acts chapter 1. So because everything is so close, and we're going to be primarily be in each of those texts as we work through three parts of the sermon today, I haven't put any of the scriptures on the board this morning. Um, so I want you in God's Word as much as possible, uh, not only throughout the week, but, but certainly as I'm preaching God's Word, we should all be Bereans. If you read through Acts, you would understand who they are as we are examining God's Word, not just taking for granted what somebody says, but we are actually examining God's Word ourselves. And so that's what I want you guys to do. Hopefully you found your way over to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read the first scripture that we're going to be in this morning. We'll pray, and then we're going to dive in to today's message. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity to gather together both here and, and virtually, Lord, at home. And, and as we examine your word today, God, help us to understand how we are to live out uh, our calling as disciples, how we are to live out our calling as those who have been redeemed by Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up, I played a lot of team sports, and, and mainly I played baseball and soccer. And, and on, the, on, the, on the teams that, that I played, there was a, a fair amount of, of camaraderie. There's a fair amount of, of unity that existed. And, and I'm sure that you guys, if you played team sports, you have experienced that camaraderie. You have experienced that unity with other people that are on the team with you. And the cause of that unity, the cause of that, that camaraderie it happens to be that, that we're on you know, a singular mission. We have a, a, the same devotion. We're all in it together. You are all devoted to being the, the best athlete that you can be. You are all devoted to accomplishing the same goal, which 
hopefully is to win the championship, right? No participation trophies for us. We are going for the championship. That is exactly where, where we're headed. We're all working together to get to, as a team together, excuse me. And I've experienced that, and I'm sure that if you have played on a team in the past, you have experienced that as well. But for all of the camaraderie, all of the unity that I have experienced as a part of a team in the past, there is nothing that that brings us together like Jesus. See, when we repent of our sins, when we believe in, in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are restored to our original vocation. And we've been talking about that throughout this series, right? We, we are now capable of living as, as kingly priests. We also become the people of God. He is our Father. We are His children. We are all brothers and sisters together in Christ, which makes us all family. And if you think about it, that is amazing in and of itself, you know, that, that, that we are the people of God, the, the recreated new covenant community, that we can exist together as a church. Right? We are all comprised of, of people from all kinds of different backgrounds and, and nations and, and tribes and, and tongues. We are a diverse yet unified group of people. And I don't know about you, but, but I feel that unity when I meet another believer. It doesn't matter where I'm at, right? I could be halfway across the world in, in China, or I could be down at the local coffee shop. And, and if I meet somebody else who is a believer, there's just this, this instant bond. There's this instant connection with that person. It's, and why is that? Well, it is because we are unified in our mission. We are unified in our devotion. It is our, it is our mission that draws us together, which is why it is important that we understand what our mission is, which is why it's important we understand what we should be devoted to as the church. If we're saying that that is these things, our mission and our devotion that draws us together and we can be unified around that, it is important that we understand what that is. And so what is the unified mission and devotion of the new covenant community of the church? Who commissions who in, empowers us to live as a new covenant community or as the church. Now, I'm specifically using that term, new covenant community, alongside of the church, you know, for, for a reason. The new covenant is what changes us. The new covenant is what, what brings us together. As we've seen throughout this entire series, we are, we are a desperately, desperately wicked people. We need a new heart. We need our will, our wants, our desires. We need all of these things to be changed so that, so that then they will exist in line with God's will, wants, and desires for us. The law, the law couldn't do that. We, we can't do that in and of ourselves. We can't just bring about this change in and of our, ourselves. And so a new covenant was promised. A new covenant was promised to the people of, of Israel. A, a Savior would come, and when He came, their hearts would be changed. They would be a different people. They, they, would, they would not rebel against God like they have been doing all of those years, but, but they would be changed so that now they, they want God, and they want the things of God, and they want to obey Him, and, and they are able to do that because their will and their wants and their desires have all been changed. And if we've seen that, that throughout this entire series, as we've worked through the covenants, they have pointed to Jesus. And Jesus came. And Jesus' life, death, and resurrection ushers in the new covenant. And that's why we exist as a new covenant community. If it weren't for Jesus, 
and his fulfillment of the new covenant, we would not exist. We would not be a church. And this is why we worship Jesus. This is why we, we follow Jesus. This is why we call ourselves a church. And so that's why we specifically use the term new covenant community. But, but what is the unified mission and devotion of the church? One Acts chapter 2, Peter's Spirit-empowered preaching at Pentecost, a, a multitude of people begin to follow Jesus as his disciples. We're told there in, in verse 41, or the second half of verse 41, that there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a lot of people. I mean, it went from like zero, you know, to, to 3,000 people in one day. If you're, if you're a church planner, man, that is like awesome. You're, we, we are good to go. Uh, we can get a building. I mean, we, we can do all kinds of things. We don't, you know, we, we are good to go. That is a church planner's dream, zero to 3,000 in one day. I'm sure there's all kind of issues that would come with that, um, and certainly does come with that here in, in, in this first church as well. As you kind of walk through Acts, you, you see some of the issues that, that come up, but that's a lot of people. A lot of people were saved. A lot of people were added to the church. The first church is a mega church. We know from earlier in, in the chapter that those who heard Peter's sermon, they were from every nation under heaven. That's in verse Eight. A number of people began to follow Jesus that day. A number of those people were probably from, from foreign countries. And I would imagine that, that a number of those people probably went back to the communities you know, from which they came. And they began to tell people about Jesus. They began to tell people about the salvation that they have experienced. You know, about all of the things that Peter preached about. And, and they began making disciples, making disciples. But, but I'm sure that there were a lot of people who stayed there in Jerusalem. And the first church began. And we're told, you know, starting there in verse 42, what their day-to-day -day activities look like. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. These were the practices that they were devoted to each and every single day. This is what they were, were unified around as the new, new church here. The first practice that we discover is that each day the apostles taught them more about God, taught them more about Jesus and, and how they were to live. They were focused on learning about God's Word and knowing the God who saved them. And the same should characterize us, right? We should be focused on learning more about God, about Jesus, and how we are to live ourselves. Being a member of a church, I mean, it should not be like being a member of, of a country club, right? We, we don't join a church for status or connection or what we can get out of it. Instead, we join a church and we come to church to help one another be better disciples of Jesus. That should be the focus of the church, to learn how we can better follow Jesus and how we can help one another do the same thing. And we take that, that serious here at our church. Right? This is why part of our vision is for you to be disciple-making disciples. We don't want you to just come and, and get fat on the, on the Word of God yourselves. No, we want you to share what you are learning with other people that you live in community with so that they might become disciples and grow in their understanding and obedience to God's Word. You know, to, to say it another way, we want you to live out your restored vocation as priestly King, serving and exercising dominion in God's good creation in order to bring God glory. We want you to help others live as priestly kings as you seek to live as priestly kings. That's what we should be unified around as the church. 
as well as the early church teaches us that, that we should fellowship with one another. In other words, we should live in community with one another. That means that, that we should be close with one another. We should know what is going on in, in one another's lives, how we can encourage and, and how we can pray for one another. And I'm sure that this type of, of knowing occurs at, at some level, but, but there's always room for improvement. Instead of just telling you to improve, though, let me give you a concrete way in which I want you to improve this, this idea of being in community with one another. Now, I know that what I'm about to say is, is somewhat difficult because we're, we exist in this COVID world where, you know, we got a social distance and all of these things, right? But, but to the best that you can, in the safest way, in the, in the way that you are the most comfortable doing this, I, I want you to, you know, pick out a family or pick out a person in the congregation, you can know them, or maybe you don't know them. Uh, whatever works. Invite them to go to coffee with you. Invite them to, you know, grab lunch with you, to do some sort of out outside activity so that maybe you can social distance with them or hang out with their family or something like that. And, and whatever it may be, then pick somebody out and get together with them. And then apart from just gathering with them and the normal conversations that should hopefully take place as, as you gather together with with one another, I want you to make it a point to ask them, how can I pray for you? How can I be of an encouragement to you? Amen. Now, I know that that could be a little bit uncomfortable, right? Maybe you're, not, maybe you're not used to asking other people, hey, how, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you in the faith? But, but that, that's the type of, of fellowship that we should be experiencing with one another. Not just, you know, how are, how's the game? How are the Bulls doing? Stuff like that, right? Like, we should be, we should know what is going on in one another's lives so that we might actually be able to pray for one another. And, and you know, it, even though it's uncomfortable, the easiest way, <clears throat> excuse me, the easiest way to start something is just to do it, right? I mean, Nike, right? Just, just do it. Just get out there and do it. Just get out there and start, start doing it. Just start asking one another. And when you gather together with someone, feel free to say, you know, pastor asked us to ask one another how we can pray for one another and how we might encourage you. So I'm doing that. Feel free to do that. Use me as an excuse for why you are doing that. I don't, I don't care if you do that. I just want you to start doing it. I want you to start doing it on a regular basis. And the more often you do that, you will realize that, that it just becomes a natural question that you ask people. You know, a lot of times you ask them before, before they leave. You know, how, how can I be in prayer for you? And then maybe you take it a step further and you say, well, let me pray for you right now. Amen. And then you send them some Bible verses that week. Uh, send them a quick text message, just something to be of an encouragement for them or to them. Look, we are, we are all, you know, a restored family in Christ. We are all citizens of the kingdom. And, and so we should act like our family. We should act like citizens of this restored, renewed kingdom that brings us together. And so let me encourage you to begin doing that so that we are actually fulfilling part of our vision to, to live in community with one another. Along with learning what we should be doing uh, uh, to, to make disciple-making disciples and live in community with one another, uh, the early church also teaches us that, that we should break bread together. The early church participated in the Lord's Supper with one another on a regular basis. And, and the reason they did this, the reason that we should do this, and, and we're, we're really not doing that right now because of, of COVID, we would have had the Lord's Supper, um, you know, during this time, but, but we're not because, you know, you can't pass things out right now. And 
all of that stuff. But we will get back to it. But, but let me just say, the reason that they did this is to keep Jesus' sacrifice in front of them, and we do this to keep Jesus' sacrifice in front of us. I mean, it is, it is hard to sin against one another. It is hard to sin against God when we are constantly reflecting on what God has done for us, how he has saved us in Jesus. The Lord's Supper should, should drive gratitude. It should drive gratitude for, for what God ha has done by sending his son to die on our behalf. We should want to work on his behalf as, as little K kings and priests. We should want to please him, not, not to earn our salvation, not to, not to keep our salvation, but out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. By regularly observing the Lord's Supper, we should be driven to obedience and unity with one another as we remember Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And lastly, the early church teaches us that we should pray for one another. Certainly, we should pray for one another's physical ailments, but we should also be praying for one another on a spiritual level. This means that, that we have to be willing to ask one another, how are you doing spiritually? We have to be open to people asking us, how are you doing spiritually? How might we, we pray for you and encourage you in the faith as we talked about just a minute ago when you gather together with, with one another. We've got to be comfortable with that. We've got to be comfortable sharing that to other people. Telling people how you're doing spiritually should not be a scary thing, nor should it always be just this like, I'm not doing well. You need to pray for me here. I'm not doing well. I'm not doing well, right? I mean, you definitely need to tell people if you're not doing well. You definitely need to tell people where your struggle's at so they can help you and come alongside of you as a brother and sister in Christ. But, but I mean, telling people how you're doing spiritually could be a, a positive thing. It could be like, man, God is, is really working in my life in this area and, and He is changing me and I, and I see that. And that, that can be a time of, of celebration between you and, and that other, other person. By sharing how you're doing spiritually, you benefit from another person's prayers, right? I mean, but you also glorify God. As others hear about how things are going in your life, they, they, should, they should praise God for, for the work that He is doing in your life. I mean, if we are these desperately wicked people who want nothing to do with God and don't want to follow God, and then we believe in Jesus, we get this new heart, and then, and then we start following Jesus, and we start putting away this sin and all of these idols and things like that, I mean, that is a cause for celebration because that is the Lord working in your life, sanctifying you through the process of sanctification so that you become more like Jesus, and that is a cause for us to worship that's a cause for other people to worship God as, as they, are, they are praising God for the work that He is doing in your life. And so sharing with one another how you're doing is, can be a very positive thing. And so those are the practices of the New Testament church. These are the things they were devoted to. And these, these were practices they did each and every day. And, and when we devote ourselves to these practices, we are, we are living as, out our priestly vocation. We are serving one another. We are, we are keeping one another in Christ. When we devote ourselves to these practices, we are accomplishing our vision as a church to be a church that is in community and on mission for Jesus, making disciples, making disciples of all peoples. And so those are the practices that we should devote ourselves to as a church. But if you notice, most all of these practices are internal to a community that already exists. 
And, and as a church, it's, it's easy for us to, to turn our focus, to turn our in, uh, attention internally, to, to just focus on what happens within the four walls of this particular church. But we haven't been called to just devote ourselves to inreach, though we see inreach is absolutely important. We spent half the sermon talking about that. We have also been called to outreach. And part of living for God is expanding His kingdom as we seek to bring others into it. A new covenant community, a church, we have to be on mission. A mission that should unify us. A mission that we should focus on. And so what is, what is the unified mission of the new covenant people of the church? Well, as we walk through the storyline of Scripture, we, we have seen that Jesus is the, the true priestly king. He, he perfectly images God, rendering complete and absolute obedience to the Father. As a result, Jesus is given absolute dominion over this world. And this is where we're going to turn over to Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, in verse 18... The text says this, And Jesus came to them, and this is his disciples that he's talking to, and Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And based on Jesus' kingly, priestly authority, he gives us our mission beginning in verse 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So because Jesus is the ultimate priest and king, Jesus can commission us in this way. No one else can come up and just say that. He's saying, look, I am the king of this entire universe. All authority, all power, everything belongs to me. And because of that, I am going to give you a mission. And your mission is to go to the nations, to all the nations, and to make disciples. And we can be confident that when we go out in Jesus' name, we will accomplish the mission that he has given us. Jesus has been given all authority over this entire world. That's why he opens this statement here with that. He doesn't just say, go. He says, look, I have been given all authority over everything, so go. Which means that when we go, we will accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us. And the mission that he has given us is to make disciples. And so we need to ask ourselves, well, what is a disciple? A simple definition of a disciple is, is someone who follows a specific teacher or a specific leader. And when Jesus tells us that we are to make disciples, what he means is that we are to, to cause others to follow him because he is the ultimate teacher and leader. I mean, he's, he's the Lord and Savior of this entire universe. And so if we're going to follow somebody, we should be following Jesus. We should be making disciples of Jesus, not of ourselves, but of Jesus. And the way we make disciples is by telling them the good news of Jesus, what Jesus has, has done for us. And we ask them to, to follow Jesus as well. Now, we aren't in the business of, of forcing anyone to follow Jesus. Right? We're, we're not in, in, in the business of doing that at all. Instead, we're in the business of, of convincing others that following Jesus is what's best for them. And so why is that? Why is following Jesus what's best for us? Last week, we learned that, that Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice. In other words, Jesus dies in our place. He substitutes himself for us. He doesn't have to die. He doesn't deserve to die. He doesn't need to die. But, but Jesus says, I'm going to die for these people. And so he dies for them. He is our substitutionary 
sacrifice. Just like a substitute teacher comes in in place of a teacher, Jesus comes in in place of us. He took the punishment that we deserve. And those who believe Jesus took our punishment experience a restored relationship with God. We don't have to do anything. No works, no trip, no money paid. We just need to believe that Jesus died in our place. That Jesus' sacrifice and his righteousness is actually credited to our account. And when we believe that, that occurs. We also learn that Jesus changes us. Again, our hearts were desperately wicked. We don't want God. We want to be king. We want to direct our lives. Unless Jesus changes our hearts, not the physical heart that is inside of us. That's not what I'm talking about. Unless Jesus changes our hearts, which represents our will, our wants, and our, and our desires, we will continue to seek to be a big K king instead of being little K kings. But Jesus does come, and he does change our hearts. And following Jesus reorients our lives. We should recognize who God is and and who we are. We should assume our rightful place in this world as as little K kings who live according to God's wisdom and seek God's glory. Following Jesus is what's best for us. We not only experience a restored relationship with the Father instead of eternal punishment, but we also are changed so that we will live according to our God-given purpose. We will live as priestly kings. And when we live according to God's wisdom, life generally goes well for us. Almost every night during dinner, I, I read one or, or two Proverbs to our boys at the dinner table, and then we, we, we discuss those for however long it is that they will, they will pay attention. You know, sometimes we can do one, and they'll pay attention to the whole time. Uh, sometimes we can get in two. Sometimes, like, we, we struggle just to get through one, right? You got a boys who are five and seven. It's like, oh, Dad, I have no idea. They're running around and talking and all this stuff. But, but we do that, right? We, we go through that. And we're, we're, we're seeking to learn God's wisdom together with one another. And we have some really good discussions through that. Now, it's Proverbs. And you have to know that, that Proverbs is, um, you know, a book that, 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 that provides general wisdom, right? If, if you follow the Proverbs, things will, will generally happen in this way. Um, but it doesn't always happen this way. So this is why you need a book like Ecclesiastes that comes in and, and balances out the Proverbs. And it tells you that, that sometimes, sometimes the wicked actually succeed and the righteous don't succeed based on the, the fallen world in which we live. Right? This is why we got Proverbs like train up a child you know, in the Lord and, and he'll, he'll continue to follow him in that way. It's Casey Lewis paraphrase. But, and that doesn't always happen. Right? You got some kids who grew up in a Christian home and their parents read the Bible to them and pray with them and all of this stuff every single day. They're, they've got them in church. They're, they're discipling them. They're not, just, they're not just relying on the church, but they're actively discipling them themselves. And then their kid like goes off and, and doesn't live for God at all. Right? It's a proverb. It's, it's a general deal. But, but if you do that, most of the time that, that, that's going to happen. Right? Your, your kids are going to continue to follow the Lord. But generally... When, and so we see it's a generality. But, but here's the thing. Here's the point I want to make. When we live according to God's wisdom, when we press into our God-given purpose, we are moving along with God's design in this world. We are, we are swimming along with that instead of against it. Swimming downstream is way easier than swimming upstream or swimming against the current, right? 
You ever been to the beach and you get in one of those riptides and you and you try to you try to swim back in? That that is that is difficult. That is hard. And eventually you're going to tire out and and you may you may go under. But what do you need to do? You need to swim to the sides and then you can come back in. Or if you're in a river, you're going to go with the flow of the current. And when you do that, things are going to go well for you. Think you're going to you're going to enjoy that time, right? We we talk about going and floating rivers and things like that. I mean, people do that for fun because you're, you're enjoying the river. You're enjoying the fellowship with one another as you, as you float down the river. And as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we can experience the good life as we swim along with God's design and wisdom. Not a, not a, not a live your best life now type of, type of good life, but, but we do experience the good life. We can experience true joy and satisfaction even though this world is broken because we experience restoration we are restored back to the father and we are able to 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 live according to the ways in which god has designed for us to live and we when we live according to the way in which god has designed for us to live even if the world is coming against us there's a certain joy that goes along with that because we are living out our purpose in life We're not bucking God's system. We're not pushing against the fabric of this world. We're not swimming upstream, but we're going along with what God has, in the way in which God has designed for us to live and to operate. And having experienced the benefits of the gospel, we should want to tell others the good news so that they too will, will want to follow Jesus and experience purpose and meaning in life as they live out God's original design. I mean, that is our mission. That is what we are to do. We are to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. And so we got to ask, well, how do we do that? How do we make disciple-making disciples of Jesus? Well, we make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. The first of those is going. Again, in verse 19, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, going means that we're not to sit stagnant. We aren't to just let folks come to us. Instead, we are to go and find folks to tell the good news to. And when Jesus tells us to go, he doesn't just mean for you to go on a mission trip, or he doesn't just mean for you to go and live halfway across the world as if, as if missionaries, the only people who are missionaries are those who've, who've moved to China or Africa or some other foreign nation somewhere. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Nor does, he, nor does he mean just wait for the church to, to create an outreach event that you can show up to and you can do your outreach for, you know, an hour there. I mean, those things are necessary. Those things are good. Those things are things that, that we should do. These are certainly underneath the category of, of what Jesus tells us that we should do when he says we should, we should go. But what he, what he also has in mind, and, and more importantly and more specifically, is that as we are going about our day, that's how you can translate this text, not just go, but, but as you are going. That is the idea that Jesus is really trying to get across there. And, 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 and in our modern English translations, we're kind of limited to this idea of, of go. But it's really as you are going about your day, you are to be seeking to make disciples. So, if you take that frame of reference, whether you live in Africa or China or you live right here in Red Oak, you can be making disciples. You can be going. That's what it looks like for us to live on mission for Jesus. And again, that's part of our vision of the church. Right? It's part of our vision of the church for a reason. We should live on mission every single day. 
You should be thinking of and, and practicing ways in which you can reach out to others for Christ. Now, notice I didn't say that, that the church should be providing you with outreach events that you can do every day or every single week to participate in. I mean, certainly we, we need to host outreach events as the church, but, but here's the deal. We cannot plan. We cannot organize an outreach event every single day, every single week for you to, to participate in. But, but do you know who can reach out to others every single day? You can reach out to people every single day as you are going. I want you to think of outreach as being less about an event and more about a relationship. You should be seeking to develop and cultivate relationships with non-believers each and every single day. You should be waiting. You shouldn't be waiting for me to, to provide you with, with an outreach event that we're going to do once a quarter. You're going to show up to maybe if, if that kind of falls on a time that you're actually in town and, and participate in this outreach event for an hour or two. I mean, we aren't going to be known as a church that is making disciples if, if that is the way that we're doing outreach. Right? We're, we're just not going to reach that many people because in our day and age, not that many people are just showing up to these outreach events that, that churches are having. But, but people are open to relationships. People are open to coming to your house to barbecue with you or dinner or going to coffee with you or whatever else it might be that you can do with, with someone else. You see, if we see ourselves as missionaries specifically placed in this community to reach people for Christ, we will have an impact on Red Oak and on the surrounding areas. We will be a church that is on mission for Jesus, making disciples, making disciples of all people. I mean, it is, it is a bit of a paradigm shift, but let me encourage you to embrace that paradigm shift and begin pressing into that this week. Ask yourself, you know, how can I live as a missionary in my own community? How can I reach those around me with the gospel? How can I build relationships with non-believers that I work with, you know, that, that, uh, that I live next to? How can I begin to build into those things? And one thing you can do, and I listened to this podcast recently, is this, this guy said, man, if you're at work and, and people, people want coffee, right? People love Starbucks, things like that. And you say, hey, I want to go coffee run. And they're like, all right, give me this, 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 and this. And, and you come back with their coffee and, and you hand them their coffee and they're like, how much? Do I, oh, you're like, it is on me. Well, guess what? Man, that person feels obligated to talk to you, right? It's like, it's like you just bought yourself a five minute conversation with that person. And so now it's like, man, how are you doing? Uh, how's things going? What are you doing this weekend? You know, things like that. You kind of get to know them a little bit. Then maybe a week later, you, you go out and you're, I'm gonna go grab some lunch. You bring back lunch. And then, they, and then you say, they say, well, how much? It's on me. Obligation again. Now it's like 15, 20 minutes they got to spend with you. So now you start building on that conversation you had with them when you were talking to them about coffee. And then you just start doing that over and over, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, being on mission does, does cost a little bit of money, but, but, you know, you're doing it for Jesus, and, and we are seeking to build those relationships. That's just an easy way. I mean, you don't have to do that. You don't have to pay for their lunch every time. Maybe you go out to lunch with them. Or eventually, maybe you work into that. You develop this friendship with them. And you don't have to keep paying for their lunch or buying their coffee every, every day or week in order to talk with them. Um, but, but, you know, it's, a, it's just a way to kind of build into that. And it's a way to, to build into these relationships with people that, that, you just don't, that you don't know. But you can know. Now, and also, I don't want you to think about this as, 
something you have to do alone. Oftentimes we think about uh, evangelism as just this solo activity, right? Like we got to like, we got to get up the courage and we got to walk across the office and we just got to be like, hey man, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And they're like, whoa, dude, I've never even talked to you in my life, right? Or, or we got to go and knock on all these people's doors. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. No, don't, don't, don't send me an email or call me. You shouldn't, we shouldn't go and, and knock on people. We should definitely do that. But but not everybody's comfortable with doing that. That's not everybody's skill set. That's not everybody's wheelhouse, right? And so instead of forcing ourselves to do something that that's just doesn't come natural to us, what are those things that come natural? Right? Gathering together with people to hang out comes natural to most people. Some people don't like to do that either. But then you got to press yourself a little bit there. I mean, you, know, you got to give a little bit. So, but, but just getting together with people having people over to your house to, to barbecue and things like that. So, so you got your non-Christian friends that you've been building into at work, right? You've been buying their coffee and you've been buying their dinner. Now, now it's like, hey man, you want to come to my house for a barbecue? And then you invite your friends from church and you're like, hey, I got some guys coming over from the office. You want to come over to barbecue? Now you've got your non-Christian and, and your Christian friends together and you begin talking with one another. You begin beginning relationships with one another. And then maybe you say, hey, I, I got a Bible study you want to come to. You see, it can be this natural progression. You don't have to do it on your own. You can invite other people alongside of you as you begin to build relationships with non-believers, as you begin to build into people's lives. And then you, conversation goes, goes to those ultimate things in life. It goes to Jesus, and you begin sharing your hope in Jesus. You begin sharing why, you know, Jesus provides you with a good life, even though the world around us is crazy, and things are not going well for us. So those are some ways that you can do that. You, you begin seeing yourself as living as a missionary in your community. Next, uh, Jesus says, in order to make disciples, making disciples, we need to baptize those who believe the gospel. Uh, verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, you got to know that we don't baptize because we believe that baptism saves, right? I mean, we're, we're Baptists. We believe that baptism is a representation, an outward representation of an inward reality, something that's taken place in your life. And so when you, are, when you are baptized, you are saying to the public, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. This is why we do baptism publicly and not privately, right? We are, we are actually telling the world we are a follower of Jesus. We're drawing a line in the sand. The third thing that Jesus says we are to do is we are to teach those who believe the gospel to obey all God has commanded in his word. Look at verse 20. Uh, there Jesus says we are to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now this command is not just for pastors. This command is for everyone, right? Jesus is talking to all his disciples right now. He didn't just like gather a few people. He didn't just say, hey, Peter, hey, man, you need to teach everybody to obey my commands. And then Peter runs off in Pentecost and starts teaching. And then he's just teaching. At, no, he's everybody. He's including everybody here. We are all commanded to teach others how to follow Jesus. Amen. This tells us that, that, that making disciples is not just about winning people to Christ. It certainly is. But it is also about teaching people to actually follow Jesus, right? The idea, make disciples. So we want to make a disciple. Part of that is believing in Jesus. That's the very beginning. But now you got to help people actually follow Jesus and actually begin to, 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 to live that out. 
And so we need to make disciples by teaching. It's the only way that somebody's going to understand how it is that they are to live according to God's Word. You've got to teach them how they're to live according to God's Word. And everybody can do this. Before you start rethinking that, let me just say, you can teach in a number of different ways. You can teach uh, in a formal setting like like it's happening right now. You might teach your family through conversation at the dinner table or through your nightly devotions. You might also teach others at church by joining into the discussion in in your Sunday school class. Um, You might get together with another church member for lunch and coffee and talk about what God's doing in your life. I mean, there are a number of ways that we can teach other people, which means it is possible for all of us to be teachers. And on the one hand, that's encouraging. But on the other hand, that's a little bit scary because it means that we are all teaching through our words and through our actions and through our Facebook posts, right? Like we're all teaching no matter what it is that we're putting out there. We are teaching other people either how to follow Jesus or how not to follow Jesus. And so we've got to, we've got to think about those things as we are going about our day. So that's our unified mission and and how we can accomplish it. But let me just say, lastly, we don't accomplish this mission in our own power. Um, If it was up to us, we would fail miserably at doing these things that Jesus has given us. We need a power outside of ourselves. And so who empowers us to live as a new covenant community, the church? So turn back over to Acts 1 real quick here, verses 4 and 5. And then we're going to look at verse 8. After Jesus' resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus, he, he stayed with his disciples for a number of days, comforting and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And, and then starting in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, we read this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then a little bit later, verse 8, Jesus tells them the benefits of the Holy Spirit when he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what empowers us for mission is not only a changed heart that Jesus fashions for us in the new covenant, but the spirit that he sends. The third member of the Trinity, like God actually comes and empowers us to live out the mission that he has given us. He is the reason we are able to make disciples. He is the reason we are able to boldly proclaim the gospel to others, answer their objections, and convince them that living for Jesus is what is best for them. He is the reason we are able to write books and preach sermons and teach Bible studies. He is the reason we are able to learn foreign languages and cultures and practices and live a comfortable life to live as a missionary all over the world. He's the reason why we're able to walk to the cubicle next to us and pay for that person's coffee, right? And begin a conversation with them even though it might be awkward. It is the Holy Spirit who is empowering us to do these things. He's the reason we have done and we will do things for the kingdom. Making disciples does not come natural to us but the Holy Spirit is given to us by Jesus the third member of the Trinity comes and he empowers us to accomplish the mission that God has given us and if that's true if the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us for the task of making disciples then we need to make sure that we are depending on him we need to make sure that we are seeking him to accomplish our mission and the way that we do that is through prayer We pray. We ask the Spirit, Spirit, help me to do this. Help me to accomplish the mission that you have have given me. And that'll happen. 
He will empower you. He will help you to accomplish the mission and the tasks that He's given you. And so these are the things we're going to be devoted to as a church. These are the things that we should be unified around as a church. And when we are unified around these things, fights and disagreements will be at a minimum. We will seek reconciliation quickly because it is about the mission. It is about us being unified. And when we are unified around these things, we will always be on the lookout for one another's spiritual health. But when we see other people slipping, we will, we will go to them and we will pray for them. And we will encourage them. We will speak the truth in love, even if it means having difficult conversations with people. When we see others doing well, we will encourage them to continue to press on in their faith. When we are unified with one another, we will be a better witness to the world because people will actually want to be a part of this community. But again, we don't do these things in our own strength, nor do we accomplish our mission in our own strength. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to accomplish this mission that Jesus has given us to make disciple-making disciples of all peoples. And that's what we are to do until Jesus returns. And next week, as we look at the last sermon in this series, we're going to look at Jesus' return, the restoration of all things. But for now, I want to encourage you to be faithful to your spirit-empowered mission, to make disciples and be devoted to the teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer as we seek to live in community and on mission for Jesus to make disciple-making disciples. And if you don't know Jesus, But today you've heard the gospel and you realize, man, I am a rebel and I want Jesus. I want to believe in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to profess him. Man, today is an opportunity for you to do that. Today is the day of salvation. And today is the day for us to turn to Jesus. And if you've got questions about that, I'll be outside. If if you want to pray with somebody, um, I'll be outside. Or you can give me a call this week. I'll be happy to talk with you more about that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather as the church and to learn, Lord, what it is that we should be unified around, what it is that our mission is, what should we be devoted to. God, we ask that you would help us to accomplish our mission, that you would help us, Lord, to be the church every day, everywhere, Lord. And for those who may not know you but have heard the gospel today, Lord, we pray for them. We ask that, that you would draw them to yourselves, that, that they, would, they would see Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, as the King of this world, and that they would turn to him and submit their lives to him. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.